Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. Burundi is in a tailspin, and it has been for the last year since President Pierre Nkurunziza decided to run for a constitutionally dubious third term in office. That set off protests, a violent suppression of those protests, and even a short-lived coup. Now Nkurunziza is consolidating his hold on power, and there is great fear that the situation may devolve into a full-blown civil war, and given the history of the region, perhaps even genocide. Now, the world is pretty aware of all this, but the international community seems unable to stop Burundi from sliding deeper into conflict. Why? I put that question to Dr. Kara Jones, an associate professor at Mary Baldwin College. Dr. Jones offers some concise background on the history of this conflict and explains why observers are so concerned that this may spiral out of control and have profound implications not just for Burundi, but for the entire region. If you have 20 minutes and want a deeper and more nuanced understanding of the crisis in Burundi, what the international community is trying to do to stop it, have a listen. As always, if you are new to the podcast, welcome. Please visit globaldispatchespodcast.com to check out our prior episodes and get in touch with me. And now here is Professor Kara Jones of Mary Baldwin College. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I think that there are a lot of a lot of very interested observers in Burundi. The State Department, in particular, has been um, involved in the crisis since the beginning. Samantha Powers, of course, very close as well. But the, then there are also the AU, um, the Peace and Security Council, has also been watching this very closely, and of course, various NGOs. And international organizations are involved on the ground. The problem is, as the crisis continues, there seems to be no really good solution to any of this. So as so as far as um, whether or not all this extra attention and involvement has helped the crisis in Burundi, that's that's probably a no right now. Um, but, you know, it remains to be seen what will happen in the future. Um, so I, I want to focus, I think, the majority of our conversation on that question of why the international community seems to have so little leverage over what's happening in Burundi right now. But before we get into that, I, I would love to for you to give folks, I guess, a bit of a, of a background about why this crisis has arisen and, and why this is happening now. So what's like the quick synopsis of, of sure. current situation and, and the current crisis? Sure. So Burundi had a civil war that began in 1993, right before the Rwandan genocide and officially ended with the first post-conflict elections in 2005. This crisis was ethnic, political and and socio-political in nature. The winners of the crisis is the current government. The winners of the civil war is the current government in Burundi, the CNDD, FDD. They won through kind of negotiated settlement and then winning the election after the war. 
They have been in power since 2005. The Burundian constitution is somewhat ambiguous in its definition of term limits and how a president may be elected. President Pierre Nkurunziza uh, decided to run for a third term in April of 2015, setting off a debate about what the Burundian constitution actually said and protests by civil society who felt that he was violating term limits and potentially risking all of the post-conflict gains that Burundi had made. Um, the election was boycotted in June and July of 2015. A coup was carried out in May of 2015 that failed, of course, and uh, Pre President Nkurunziza was re-elected although no international organizations monitored the election, so there's questions about credibility. And the country has been in a political crisis ever since. According to my own research, we are now at over 1,000 deaths for the period beginning January 2015 to the present. There seems to be no end in sight to this low-intensity violence between groups, especially in Bujumbura. There are over 250,000 200, did I say that right? Yeah, yeah, 250,000 refugees, yeah. right? Yeah, 250,000 yeah. refugees, uh, Burundians who are living abroad. Um, and none of these, none of these uh, parameters or variables seems likely to change in the near future. Um, the AU announced a, a presumptive peacekeeping mission at the end of December in 2015 to quell the ongoing crisis and hopefully prevent further sl sliding into violence. That was um, somewhat premature on the AU part as it had to go through both the AU General Assembly, President Nkurunziza, and perhaps the UN Security Council. Of course, President Nkurunziza um, denied the invitation for the AU to come as part of the peacekeeping mission. The AU General Assembly did not pass the measure through general consensus. And here we are. Yeah. So basically, I mean, we're speaking just a week after that latter part with the AU, AU uh, occurred in which the African Union said they were going to deploy a 5,000 strong peacekeeping force. Uh, but that force would have been non-consensual, meaning that they didn't have the permission of the government of Burundi to uh, be peacekeepers there. So I guess been tantamount to like an invasion. Uh, so the AU pulled back on that um, on, on that pledge. Yes, that's correct. Um, so, you know, this 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 problem of third termism as as it's come to be known in Africa is not like unique to Burundi or even like the Great Lakes region of of Africa um why in Burundi is this third termism becoming a political and security crisis like why is why is Nkurunziza's um, attempt or successful attempt to secure a third term of dubious constitutionality, creating a security crisis and human right, a potential human rights uh, calamity. Well, there were human rights violations committed by the CNDDFDD before the crisis occurred. So there were allegations and reports um, uh, confirmed by Amnesty and Human Rights Watch that the government had been. Um, had been targeting the political opposition. When Nkurunziza announced he was going to run for this third term, there was a wave of protests set out in, in especially urban Bujumbura, the goal of which to, was to have a Burkina Faso type of um, changeover and, and hopefully prevent this third term. And that, I should say, references the 
peaceful uh, overthrow Correct. of uh, Burkina Faso's like 30-year ruler, Blaise Kempori, which happened last year. Right, right. And so what happens is you have this group of opposition who I think imagine that the protests will be, will be uh, peaceful and will occur swiftly and, and their political goals will be realized. And they're met with pretty violent repression from the very start. Um, seven people died the first day. And, and this pattern of meeting these protests, which are, are seemingly mostly peaceful with violent repression, occurs over and over again in the first two weeks of the protest. This does radicalize some in the opposition. So there is rumblings of, of armed um, opposition to the CNDD, FDD that's starting, which of course in turn makes the hardliners within CNDD, FDD even more determined to fight. And you end up in this kind of vicious cycle, and then you have the failed coup in May, where the army, part, elements of the army see an opportunity when Inkrin Ziza is out of the country. At to, a peace talk, right? He was in yeah. Tanzania or something for yeah, peace he's talks. At, he's in Tanzania at peace talks um, to try and quell the, the, the ongoing crisis um, when the army takes over. And uh, the army, of course, I, I don't think... Um, managed their resources very well, at least those elements who did choose to participate in the coup, met immediately with very violent repression. The coup was over in 48 hours. There is an unknown number of army defectors who have gone uh, either abroad or in the Burundian highlands to start their own rebel group. In fact, one of the leaders of the coup was just announced as the head of the um, the head of a new rebel fighting force in Burundi just uh, a few weeks ago. And you have a, a shrinking of political space. You have a near total destruction of the independent media, which was seen as a supporter of the coup. And um, absolutely no political freedom inside, inside the city or, or perhaps even in the rural areas right now. And, you know, along with all of these factors, you have a very, very tight economic situation. Um, affecting affecting Burundi more generally. Um, and the government has not done very much to address, well, any of these issues, but the, the combination of all of them is leading to what we think is the, is the brink of another civil war. Uh, and a civil war that could be hugely disastrous uh, in humanitarian terms. I mean, you know, there is, you know, concern that like ethnic divisions could be sharpened and that this can turn into like some, you know, almost like genocide or potential. Right. There is the potential for a genocide to break out there. It's like not without reason to suspect right. that this conflict might take on genocidal forms. And even if it doesn't take on genocide in Burundi, I hate to be snarky here, but the last time the Burundi had a civil war, we got the Rwandan genocide and the Great Congo War. So perhaps preventing violence in Burundi can help, you know, prevent a, a region-wide catastrophe. Uh, so this goes back to a question that you alluded to early, uh, earlier on, which is, you know, that the international community seemingly has very little leverage over what's happening in Burundi or specifically over uh, what Pierre and Kurenziza is doing. Why is there so like why is there so little leverage here? Why is Nkurenziza so um, determined or so able to ignore any means of compellence from the rest of the world? Well, the short answer is that um, the international community tells Africa a lot of things about how they should govern, and most most of Africa doesn't listen. 
So there's historical precedent. You know, we, we talk about how important changeover is in democracy and how important term limits are. And we're giving the speech in Ethiopia, which is um, not a place known for term limits or um, democratic governance. And um, so that's so that's a short answer is that he has been emboldened by, I think, um, other leaders in, in the region and beyond who um, do not uh, do not suffer consequences for, for not ch- changing over power. And then I think the, the longer and perhaps more complicated issue is that um, Burundi is playing a pretty key role in several AU peacekeeping missions right now. This is tied up in both um, the AU, also in, in funding between the EU, the US and others. Um, and this is a very, very complicated issue. So I, I think that Burundi does have some leverage in that um, should they, should they be, be pushed up against a wall, they could always threaten to remove their peacekeeping force. Which is active in Somalia, right? Correct. Somalia, and I believe they have a contingent force in the CAR as well. Um, one, I guess, interesting thing to, to look at this from, from a Security Council perspective, and, and also from an American perspective, has been the role of Samantha Power in, um, in, in trying to put a lid on, on this conflict. I mean, she has been to Burundi, I think like three times in the last 18 months, which is kind of remarkable given that she's like a, you know, cabinet level official. Uh, and that Burundi is like barely like a tertiary U S foreign policy priority. Mm -hmm. Um, I I guess what, uh, I I guess what do you see as, as her, the effect of, of her seemingly personal involvement in this conflict? Like, have there been any tangible outcomes that you could point to? Um, you know, I think that she has definitely highlighted a, a crisis in a way that wouldn't be highlighted otherwise. I think she's put pressure on the U.S. State Department to keep up a very um, hardline message with with the Burundian governments, although um, action seems a little bit uh, lacking. <coughs> and I think that, you know, but but this is her story, even even despite the personal connections that she has with Burundi and she does have a lot of personal connections, especially with, with MSD, which is an opposition political party. But I mean, she also is very much one uh, someone who's, who's uh, at the forefront of this responsibility to protect doctrine. And, um, you know, and the idea that, that genocide and crimes against humanity are really an international problem. And I, I think, you know, she has tried to um, push, she has tried to, to shed so much attention on Burundi for, for those reasons as well. Like what um, but it seems like a very it, it seems like all the international players are really um, struggling to to find some sort of carrot that would bring the Burundian government to the table and all plans to to pursue political dialogue, to pursue inclusion, to persuade um, the Burundian government to do anything other than than what they've been doing have seemingly all all failed. And I, I don't know what else there is to really be done the peacekeeping force seemed like it was it was kind of the final straw i guess so is the situation like totally hopeless then well what i mean i mean define hopeless will will things continue in this same pattern for burundi that that seems very likely this this pattern of low intensity violence this potential grouping of armed opposition um this fracturing of burundian political space i i think that's likely um, worst case scenario, are we looking at a genocide? I still, I still find um, 
the, the likelihood of genocide in this particular case to be very, very low. Um, that being said, when things happen there, they happen rather quickly. And so I think that um, putting forth a program of human rights monitors um, with, with some serious credentials and serious muscles behind them, uh, continuing to monitor the situation and continuing to press with targeted sanctions and otherwise on the incurrencies of government to bring the political opposition in in a meaningful way is, is probably the best we can hope for at this particular point. I guess from like a security council perspective, and it would be like the security council, presumably that would deploy these human rights monitors. Um, what, what's kind of baffling, I guess, about the Burundi situation is that on the one hand, everyone agrees that it's a pretty urgent and dire situation. Uh, yet on the other hand, they um, there's no like big power that has any key interest in Burundi one way or the other. I mean, it's not like Darfur in the early 2000s, which... Um, had China, in which like China supported Sudan because they had like a, an ex- import-export oil relationship. Um, so there's nothing, there's no like key player on the Security Council that has any huge interests in Burundi one way or the other. Yet there doesn't seem to be uh, much momentum to coming together around some sort of like coherent solution. Yes, I agree with all <laughs> of that. I mean. The problem is, is that until Burundi becomes a real crisis, no, you know, everyone is loath to act. I think that um, the international players, the, the Security Council, the AU, etc., are trying to use di- diplomacy and, in some cases, sort of coercive diplomacy, right? By by suggesting that if you don't do this, we'll send peacekeepers, or you know, we we might do this um, military action. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But uh, the truth is, there's no political. I don't think there's any political will. I don't think there's any economic, like you said, any economically viable reason to 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 push for a solution in Burundi. Um, and there's also just the the, um, the very real um, possibility that should the worst happen, the UN has no plans, which was in that leaked um, memo that got to to Vice News. Yeah, the, the, and this memo said basically we are less prepared for Burundi right. now than we were for Rwanda twenty years ago. Right, right, and the, and that's sort of I I think the larger the larger story about UN and international organization peacekeeping more generally we seem to be less prepared, and there's certainly a lot of conflicts now now that <laughs> deserve our attention. I mean, you know, Syria for one, <laughs> um, and and others in Africa as well, but. Um, what can be done about Burundi? I really think that there needs to be some more kind of political carrots and sticks given to, to prevent this from worsening. I, I suppose then if you're in Kurenziza, your strategy is just to keep doing what you're doing, like low level, um, low level conflict, you know, targeted right. killings of political opponents and people who uh, right. might otherwise take to the street or challenge you. And just right. keep it, and just keep it pretty low level. Just you know, kill a few people a day as opposed to hundreds of people a day, and you'll be fine. Right, and keep the opposition from from keep the opposition from growing or mobilizing, um, which incurrencies actually doesn't have to do much to, for that to occur. They're pretty fractured, and um, they don't necessarily have a political program. And um, and uh, and hopefully keep the a real armed opposition from forming now the very real danger though is that this burundi looks a lot um like 
1994 Burundi, um, according to René Lamarchand, one of the, the experts on Burundi. And um, what happened in 1994 is you had a ragtag rebel army who fought little battles, who never held complete territorial control over Burundi, yet who somehow in 12 years of war managed to convince the population that they were going to be the best thing for them. And that ragtag rebel army is, of course, CNDDFDD. So is CNDDFDD recreating themselves in another group of people right now? And will they eventually lose power to them? That's a very real possibility. And and what is the possibility that this conflict, um, if it maintains this for, for the next few years, this kind of low-level but persistent um, um, you know, crisis, uh, spill over to Rwanda or other countries in the region like uh, the DRC? Yeah, I think the DRC is definitely the one to watch. There's been lots of, of um, um, research done right now into whether or not there are Burundian um, opposition elements arming themselves in eastern Congo. I think that's something we should we should all pay attention to. The Rwanda question is interesting. Um, Rwanda's got its hands full right now with the election, with the upcoming election. Another third termer. Um, yes, another third termer. Altagame, yeah. Yep. Um, but uh, you know what? What is the Rwanda has not been shy about about um, the their potential to uh, intervene should the worst happen. So I think we should also watch out for that. Um, in general, you know, this could. I think the best hope is for, for things to stay at the level that they are. Um, all right. Well, Kara, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks again to Dr. Kara Jones. Uh, as I mentioned at the outset, please do visit globaldispatchespodcast.com. I've had a lot of uh, new listeners over the last few weeks, and you should know that a lot of the content I've posted over the last year, two years of this podcast is actually totally evergreen and relevant to listen to anytime you like. So go check out our old content. It's as timeless as ever at globaldispatchespodcast.com. All right. Thanks so much. See you next time. Bye.